This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. I want to get more people on the show. You shouldn't have to listen to me all the time. <laughs> so my first guest in talking shop is the one, the only John DeHuse, uh, who is a UX practitioner. And I'm going to let him tell his story here in a moment. Welcome, John. Glad to have well, you on the show. Thank you, Darren. Thanks for having me. Great to, I didn't realize I was the first guest on the show. It's okay. quite the honor. Well, the first guest for talking shop. First guest are talking shop. All right, there we go. This is a a, this is a separate initiative because, uh, matter of fact, you know what inspired this, John? Uh, There's an old show on Bravo. The old host has passed away, and the show was called Inside the Actor's Studio. Yes, and I love that show. I if if, I don't know if they come on now, but I would watch them. They're probably on YouTube, and so this talking shop is I envision it being something on the line of inside the actor studio. And I started to call it inside the UX studio. And I started thinking, I think somebody else I know is using that. <laughs> I, can't, <laughs> I can't use that. But talking shop is mine. This is something that I, uh, what we were going to name the the video equivalent of this that I mentioned that's going to be on YouTube. But let's get it started with just regular, regular recordings like this, regular audio, regular podcast segments. And so... I've got just like the the host on that show did. I have a series of questions that I am going to ask uh, every every guest that comes on for talk and shop. Now we may, for those of you that are listening, we might leave this these scripted questions. We might if if it just if we go in a particular direction and oh well we didn't get to the last seven questions oh well it might that might be what happens. The thing is, we just want to share. We want to talk about some things. I've highlighted some questions that the people that I come across in my travels, I know that a lot of people need to hear, no matter where they are in their journey as a UX professional. If they're new, if they're mid-level, sometimes if they're senior, sometimes you just need to hear perspectives. And so I'm going to have a a wide variety of people. Some of the people will be new in the discipline. So as mentioned, some will be entry-level, some will be mid-level, some will be senior-level, some will be manager-level. We're going to get some CX people in on this. And so this is where we get started. So, John, are you ready? I am, Darren. Let's go. (laughs) All right. So let's start here. Let's start with the formal introduction. Uh, Let's tell the people, tell the people who you are and what you do, John. Who are you? Sure. Um, Well, I'm John DeHughes, and I am apparently the first person on Talking Shop. Um, so I don't think that's all the introduction we need. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, so I am John DeHughes. Um, I'm a product designer with Ford Credit, and 
and I'm currently working on account manager. And what account manager is, uh, it's kind of the dashboard that retail and commercial customers who either lease or finance with Ford credit use in order to pay their bill or view their transactions or do other activities um, that can range from anything from say changing your name or saying taking your vehicle overseas. Um, about two and a half million people uh, use this wow. or are on the service. Um, nice. It's by far the biggest project that I've been on. Um, I'd say it's probably the most challenging, um, but that's not, I'm not trying to use challenge as a bad thing here. <laughs> okay. Very nice. Very nice. I know people will be excited to hear about that. And, and, and you know, when you, I just thought about one thing I want to interject. A lot of times, a lot of people I encounter the, the, on average, the way that people picture the world of UX, it's very narrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were just talking before we started recording about people who talk about not being able to find a job and then they, they'll they have a handful of experiences and then they apply their experiences to the whole. The world of UX is very broad. How many yes. people, those of you listening out there, know folks that are doing what John just talked about <laughs> and what he's doing? <laughs> I mean, everybody doesn't get that opportunity to work on something that two and a half million people are tapping into. So that, no, that's huge. Yeah, that's huge. and that's that's one of the reasons why, and when I kind of was recruited for the job, um, the size wasn't mentioned um, because frankly, I mean, if it was a smaller project, I would have probably gone too. If it was a larger, I, I probably would have gone as well. Um, but I was like, you know, Ford Credit's not small. This isn't, we're not talking peanuts here. Um, so I was like, oh, this might be nice, you know, to kind of work on a larger project and just get, you know, some experience with that. And it's, it's definitely been an experience. That's for sure. Very nice. I, I have a personal question. Do you guys work on the Lincoln side too? Um, yes, we do. Okay. We do work on the Lincoln side. So I guess for um, those of you at home who are listening to this, there is a Ford side and there's also a Lincoln side to this. Um, both are very, very similar. In fact, I think the, the number one way that they differ is just from, um, a graphical perspective. Okay. Um, it, otherwise everything else is practically the same. Okay. So I am a customer. I am, I am one of John's users. So this one, this is news to me. Might have to. Yeah. I think that's something that gets overlooked a lot of times too. I mean, I've worked on things that touch a lot of people. Yeah. And I even, I sort of joke about it, but I think it's really accurate that I work on things that have touched almost everybody. Right. Uh, because my, my footprint is at large. And that's if you, for example, if you've gone to CVS, whether you've gone to pick up a, a prescription or some cookies off the shelf, a candy bar at the checkout, or just to pick up a roll of paper towel. Um, I work for the company that, work that handled the logistics that uh, the systems that's used to deliver that stuff to CVS. So if you go and oh, see nice. it, I touched you and, <laughs> and, and you know, it's just something we, we, I think we should personalize what we do like that and, and have a, a good understanding of who we touch and right. who's depending on us. Who are you, who are you really, you know, cause we, we think about the users that are in, in research, the research participants, but we don't think about it a lot of times in a broader sense of that again making things too narrow and it's, it's important for us to understand the importance of what we do and and the people that we're going to affect and then right. take it be be very be very sober-minded because of that and and being determined to drive that value something yeah, that's critical I, I think you're saying about the wide fruit burn that's a really good point and i think that a lot of people are just ux it's like what is a trendy mobile app and that's where it stops yeah um <laughs> and which is totally not the case 
And I think that it would be good to kind of let people know, especially who are kind of coming in, like, don't just, ex- like, if your expectation is to do a trendy mobile app, you're going to be disappointed probably. Um <laughs> You, you probably will have the opportunity to work on it and that's totally fine. Um, but there's just so much need for UX help or help from UX professionals yes, yes. just across the board. It doesn't have to be the trendiest thing. I mean, there are back offices who are using 25 year old software. Yes. And I'm remembering when our Citibank, and this actually just happened, I think earlier this year, late last year. And this thing, this actually got a fair amount of press in the financial world, but didn't get a lot of press in the UX world from what I saw, um, is that they sent through a series of wrong button presses, I want to say $200 million or something absurd. And then of (laughs) course they sued to get it back because the other people that the money was sent to you were just like, yeah, we're not giving it back because that's your problem. You should have done the due diligence. And I saw a screenshot of this thing yeah, of, yep. of the interface and it just looked like right out of windows 95 and <laughs> aesthetically out of windows 95. And then there's no instructions on what to do. I guess I shouldn't bash windows 95 because if you like that kind of aesthetic, then great, good for you. Um, and but at the end of the day, like, when was the last time, or even the first time, a UXer touched that? Yeah. And that's a $200 million mistake. Like, did they even have a award? Did they have a modal being like, hey, you're about to send $200 million off? Saying who it was going to. That's a great question and a great point, too, because Citibank is actually known for investing in UX. Right. How did that slip through the cracks? Was what I thought about when it happened because mm-hmm. I know that city I, I've seen, okay, this person is speaking, they're from city. And then you see all these people everywhere. I saw, I used to work for a bank. And so mm-hmm. I was very sensitive to what was happening in the banking industry from a UX perspective. And you knew who was engaged, who's not capital one has a big reputation for yeah. being involved in, in UX. I mean, so we, we knew where the players were when it came to UX back then. And that's when I had my, my first full time, UX job, UX related job, I should say, was at a bank. It was at a big Midwest bank. And and right. so we wanted to know what what are they doing? Who's actually spending money on this? We were spending a lot of a lot of money on UX. But to see something like that happen with that institution, it was so shocking when I heard about it. And and yeah. so, you know, companies, there are companies who have done phenomenal things in the UX world, and then they did what I, I give a shout out to uh, the, the former head of adjuncts at Kent State University, uh, uh, Paul Sherman, was the one who coined the phrase of UX backsliding. I've used it on this show multiple times. You can actually have it together from a UX perspective, but that takes maintenance. Right. And and there's one particular company, a nameless company, uh, almost in that same arena, that did the same thing. They, they did wonderful things when it came to UX. They had a great practice. And then one day, I've told this story before, you may have heard me say this before. Uh, they ended up hiring an architect to run their UX department. Not in it. Not a UX architect. Not a systems architect. A building. A building architect. architect. They hired really? an architect. And this is part of what's happening in UX. That's not good today. Is that hiring? Right. I've said this also before. Hiring is massively dysfunctional, and art directors, creative directors, and everybody but UX people who are seasoned and have a lot of experience are getting a lot of the leadership jobs. 
and and it it makes for a really it, it opens the door for UX backsliding. In yeah. Short. And and so yeah, it, it's sad to hear that that happened with Citibank, but it's something that we need to be aware of because uh, it's not just about the work. Uh, it's about the trends. It's about the practices. It's about the right. way things are shifting and, and 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 the ebbing and the flowing and things of that nature. We need to be aware of those types of things because they can and will eventually affect you no matter where you work. Right. So, and people right. are not, sure. I'm trying to, I'm trying to help people to understand that, but. Let, let's move on to question two, though. Sure. The, uh, the, there we go. We're, we're here. We are thirteen minutes in, and <laughs> we're, on, <laughs> we're moving on to question two. Everybody loves to hear this from from every UXer that they come across. From what I've seen, how did John DeHues get into UX? A postcard. That's probably not an answer that anybody was expecting. Um, <laughs> so, some backstory on that. Um, back in at this point, this is sad to say a decade ago, um, I was living in Philly. I was working in a law firm that was dedicated to foreclosures. Um, and for those of you that might be a little too young to remember this, 2011 was around the height of the foreclosure and the financial crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, I had graduated from college in 2010 and I needed a job. So this was, I graduated with a, a degree in political science. And so oh, I was wow. like, well, it's a law firm. Does foreclosures are, right? Those aren't going to end anytime soon. Um, and so I, I moved out to Philly. I started working there. Um, and around month three was when I was like, everybody here seems to be incredibly unhappy and nobody really likes to the law. Um, and so I was like, it's time to think about other options rather than going back to law school. Um, so I took the GREs, took the GREs twice actually. And with the, um, the first time I marked down like, yes, schools can contact me. And so about a month after I took the GRE, the first one, I got a postcard from the university of Michigan. Uh, I don't really remember what was on it. Um, but it was interesting enough to look at and there, they talked about the thing, uh, a master's in human computer interaction, whatever that was, I didn't know. Um, (laughs) and so I took the GRE a second time and then I was like, all right, I should probably think about what I want to do. And so I applied and I went on their website, first of all, and the two things that stood out were like informational policy. Um, and then you, you know, human computer interaction. I was like, I don't really know which one I want to do because they both look kind of interesting. And so I was like, you know, I'll go primary for the information, uh, the policy information kind of, doing, you know, nice doubly dovetailing with my political science degree. Um, and I was like, I'll just do some UX stuff on the side. Cause you know, they allow me to do that, which is nice. And so I applied, I got in. And then I think like a month and a half before it was supposed two months, maybe before it was supposed to start, I got an email and they said, we're not having that informational policy program anymore. They discontinued wow. it right before I came in and I had a bit of, I had like a, a night of crisis and I was like, all right, either I don't go or I'm just going to do human computer interaction. And so I, I emailed them back and they're in, cause they would let you kind of switch the programs for free or mm-hmm. the, the track for free. Um, and I was like, all right, let's just go with the human computer interaction. And that's kind of, that's the rest is history. Wow. Um, yeah. So it's definitely not been a straight path. Lots of twists and turns. Wow. <laughs> and that was before I even started the program. Good old happenstance. 
Yes, and it's funny sure. how many people people today can choose to opt into UX, right? Uh, but a lot of people didn't. I did not. It was something that just happened. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Like honestly, before this even happened, I never heard of human computer interaction, like yeah. user experience. Um, I never heard of it, actually. Sorry, my cat is attempting to come up uh, for those squeaking noises. I, I closed um, my door so that I don't experience that very thing. Yeah, <laughs> cat is kind of needy. Um, but yeah, like like you said, I mean, they're especially with older UXers, and I'm not trying to use that as a pejorative term at all. But like like you said, he just kind of got in it, right? There was yeah. no like, I'm going to be a UXer today. There was none of that. Um, I argue that this is a very recent phenomenon. Um, it is not something new. I mean, there's people that were like, yeah, I was a graphic designer and then I got into doing websites cause that's where, you know, the industry was going. And then, you know, over the, over the years, it's like, I realized I was doing UX, like trying to figure out, you know, what worked, what didn't, what, you know, drive engagement on the sites. Um, a lot of people just kind of fell into it and now the game has completely changed. Yeah. On hundred percent changed, even from when I graduated, like, I think around 2016 is when I really saw like ads and, and things start popping up. Um, and now it's totally different. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. I'm going to jump. I know you have these questions in front of you. I'm going to jump to number four. All right. Uh, from an acumen standpoint, how did you develop your levels of experience in UX? Sure. So I think first of all, I want to say that, going to school really helped give the foundation um in that without it i would be hopeless i would have been hopelessly lost um especially back in 2014 2012 that time period um and so i guess you know it gave me the foundation to kind of go out kind of say like yeah i'm not just someone who's throwing these terms together on a website um I was able to do around two internships. In fact, I was required to do one. The second one was optional, but I did anyways. Um, because at that point in time, I was like, real world experience is a little better than school experience. Mm-hmm. Um, not trying to discount school experience, but if you don't have <laughs> real world experience, right. uh, especially right. working in companies, then that you can have all the schooling that you want, but you're not going to be prepared. Um, and I guess kind of going from there, you know, I built up, built it up by working at different companies. Right. Um, and I started at the ground floor. Like I did not start off with a senior designer, um, <laughs> title. Um, in fact, I didn't even have a UX title. The job I applied to was like, I want to say a developer. Like it didn't, I don't think it even had UX in the name. Um, I think it got changed after the fact because when I applied for it, um, uh, the person that hired me was like, oh yeah, you should go find it here. And I was like, oh, but I already looked on your website. And I didn't find anything with the word UX. And she was like, that's because it's not UX. It's something else. Um, and I was just like, okay. Um, and I found it. It was there. Like she said it was, uh, but it, it did not say UX at all. Um, and then I've kind of, I was zigzagged. And like I said, it has not been a straight career path. Um, after that first job, it kind of went on to, um, be a, a lead. That was the title, um, by virtue of me being the only person there. Um, so I was both <laughs> the most senior and the most junior. Um, and so I 
it was a startup and I went there, I worked there for a little bit. Um, was basically responsible for anything UI related. So that's from, you know, coming up with kind of a rudimentary design system to doing the research, working with SMEs. Um, after that, I moved on to Bosch, which is where we met. Um, there I kind of took on, you know, still kind of like a junior, but also just gotten some more lead roles, especially around like telling people, uh, kind of like what UX, you know, like how UX can help. And I know yeah. you kind of started that and then I kind of took over. Um, and I think that actually people really like that. I think people really enjoyed yeah. having that. Um, I don't know if they continued that. Uh, I hope they did. And then kind of after that, I moved on. <laughs> I moved on to um, Ford and I kind of. Hey, let me get a sound effect. <laughs> okay, and we'll and we'll leave it at that. So. <laughs> right. Oh, jeez. Um, and then I moved on to Ford, which were where I've been since around 2018, um, in both you know contract and indirect hire as well. Um, started off as basically in, in Ford Mobility, uh, working under a really good person, um, kind of working on Go Ride, which is a now defunct. Uh, product, which is basically we would help um, elderly patients who needed to go get dialysis medicine. Um, we would kind of pair them up with um, certified drivers. So these drivers were all certified. They could do CPR. Um, very nice. Um, very nice project. Uh, fortunately, it's no longer with us. Mm-hmm. And then I moved on to, yeah, no, it was, it was kind of heartbreaking, I think, for a lot of people when it got shut down. Um, then I moved on to Ford EV, where... I was working on kind of an autonomous vehicle application. So this is mainly initially it was, it was a one-off for kind of a demo day. And this actually gets into your six point, like what is your high high points and bright spots. Go for it. Um, and so I was a designer for an app that was used by Ford and Argo and Argo is kind of Ford's um, it's kind of a joint autonomous vehicle effort along with Volkswagen, uh, Ford mm, bought okay. or invested into Argo AI and then Volkswagen invested to them as well. And so um, basically I developed the app for this demo day. And so basically it was kind of an Uber-esque app where, you know, um, you could say, I want to go here, I want to go there. Um, of course, there are set places to go to um, that they set up ahead of time, but the cars, how they routed there was all based on traffic and it was completely autonomous. I mean, they would have someone in the front seat um, but it was all, it was all, you know, as long as it got from A to B, that's all that mattered. Um, and so demo day got good reviews. Um, the app even got a little bit of screen time. That was cool. Um, <laughs> and then after that, I moved on to Ford Credit where I've been since 2019. And so at this point, I definitely took on more of, I would say, leadership role, if not necessarily a, it was it's not a leader role, but definitely more aspects of leadership. So for example, um, every now and then I'll give kind of a presentation as you know, like this is what design thinking is and design thinking. I was championed at Ford, um, by Jim Hackett and it's kind of continued under Jim Farley. So. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. And and of course I will say, um, it's even today, like, still go out and try to get feedback from people. And I think that's very important, no matter what level you are, Um, you know, doesn't matter if you're a junior or the biggest senior, just get, just get feedback because that's how you improve. Exactly. Exactly. 
Yep, good points. Good points. Let's jump up to we we talked about a couple other things. Let's jump up to question seven. What has been your biggest challenge? You know, I was <laughs> this is the one question that I was looking at beforehand. I was like, oh, I need to come up with an answer. And it was kind of the hardest <laughs> one. Um, this is just like the, <laughs> an interview question here. Um, I think one of my biggest challenges, um, I guess throughout my career perhaps has been pushing back when someone says like, we might need this now, or like, this is what we're going to do is just asking the question why. And I think that can be kind of scary at times because especially if you're just coming in somewhere and in someone who's been working there for a long time and like they might, they probably know more about it than you do, but they're like, we need this. And it's like, well, why? And then you try to like (laughs) pick at it and try to determine like, is this person, are they really asking for what they think they're asking for? Are they asking for something else? Um, and that can be really scary. I mean, for any, any juniors that are listening to this, um, it's going to be a little nerve wracking because you're going to be going up against people who have this domain experience. They may have been doing this for 10, 20 years and you're just coming in and you're just like, well, I'm, I'm just trying to learn here. Um, and I will say it's better to ask the question and think that you're being foolish than just go ahead and prove that you're foolish um, <laughs> because then no one will take you seriously. It's better to ask, just asking why. Um, and sometimes it's like, maybe, you know, it's coming, it's like, Oh, this is super urgent. It's like, no, maybe it's, it's not super urgent. They can maybe be rolled into something else that you're working on. Um, and yeah, I'd say, I'd say that that's been the biggest challenge. That's um, a great point. Yeah. Yeah, and that's how that's happened to me at virtually every single job. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons why I stress that how important emotional intelligence is. Yeah, UX because some people people they get so caught up in the methods, the methodologies, and the different techniques. Mm-hmm. No, what about this other stuff? What about pushing back? What about the the ability to communicate effectively? What what right. about the ability to read the room? I mean, there, mm-hmm. there's a lot yes. of other things that have to do with business interpersonal communications and emotional intelligence than it does the things that, that actually make up what, what is UX. And so I try to, uh, to uh, wake people up about that on yeah. a regular basis. Yes, for sure. It also helps reveal your own blind spots. Yes. And it's also something. Yes, good. it does. <laughs> Very valuable. <laughs> Very valuable. What's your biggest regret? Hmm. I would say that my biggest regret would have been at this point in time, I would say going to a job that overpromised and underdelivered. <laughs> um, I know that's not that's not exactly exclusive to UX, right? But I would say that that's probably the biggest regret overall that I have. Um, it sounded really good, yeah. right? Like it sounded really good, um, and then it was just like where was the leadership? Um, and the tech people that I worked with were fine, right? Like it was great working with them. You know, I still keep in touch with some of them. Um, but just, it just highlighted how you need to ensure that there's someone that can act as a North star 
and not a comet because the <laughs> North Star. That's awesome. It might be, it may not be going in exactly the right direction, but it's there and it's steady. And the comet, like, you know, comets, like, they flash a little, but they move from one side of the sky to the other. And it's like, how do you keep up? Um, and so that is, that was definitely something that I, I would say is my biggest regret. And also the recruiting process, I would say, watch out. And if something seems off, then dig a little deeper. And if it still yeah. seems off, then get out. <laughs> Just cut it off. We were, on the, um, we were on the show the other day with uh, Debbie Levin. We, I called that the Amityville UX moment. <laughs> yes. <Out. laughs> it, it really was an Amityville moment. I'll be honest, like, I kind of had that. And multiple times I did not listen to mm. my instincts. And over, you know, all's well that ends well, I guess. But, like, at the time I was just like, what did I get myself into? Right. Um, right. But, yeah. In a sense, I'm glad that I had that experience because I know what to look for and what not to do again. Right. Sometimes you just got to learn things the hard way. <laughs> yes. Okay, so we're down to the last two. We skipped around a bit because I think you touched on some of the other things. Um, mm-hmm. But in the in the last few moments that we have here, if you have the ability to go back in time and tell yourself one thing about UX, and it can be anything, what would that golden piece of advice be? Keep an open mind. Um, I think that is the number one thing because there are some, you know, working with subject matter experts sometimes, I was like, well, why would they do, why would they suggest this when this is clearly, in my opinion, superior UX the way to go about doing things. And then they're like, oh, well, that's because in this field, this is the way it's it's done. And when you're going up against 50 years of how something's been done, <laughs> sometimes this is, this is not the battle to fight. Um, yes. And it's like, this is how people expect it. And this is their user experience in a sense. Um, and that's what they, they expect to see. And it's like, okay, you know what? Well, just go back and we're going to rework, you know, I'll rework my screens and, you know, come up with and try to have a better understanding. We'll make something that can better work for everyone. Um, and then also, you know, sometimes reading, you know, new, new UX trends, it's like, I don't know if this will work. And then you go out and you try it and it actually yeah. kind of works. Um, and you're like, Oh, okay. I guess, I guess it wasn't as silly as it seemed. Um, so yeah, definitely keeping an open mind for sure. Um, because if you don't, if you have that closed mind, then you just won't grow and you won't learn. Exactly. Exactly. And then our final question, what advice do you have for up and coming UXers in the discipline? All right. I'm going to paraphrase vanilla ice here and say, collaborate and listen. Um, <laughs> because unicorns and UX, unicorns and UX are just like unicorns in real life. They probably don't exist. Like we haven't found a unicorn yet. Um, we're probably not going to. Um, and when I say that, I mean that you need, like you aren't going to come out and be the star of the show. Yeah. You're not going to be that. It's just not how the world works. Um, so just, as long as you don't come in with that mindset, then you'll be good. Um, you need to get your footing, you know, and in order to do that, you need to work with others. So basically going back to collaborate and listen. Um, 
and you know, by working with others, um, you can only get better. And even if that's just one other person, right? Um, just bouncing ideas off of, and I think it's going back to a really old article, um, by Jacob Nielsen and, and maybe Don Norman too. Uh, it's been a while since I looked at it. It's the, the UX curve. Um, when they talk about which design, how many designers should be on a project, how many UX designers should be on a project. And I'm going to try to find this now. Um, when I forget what it's called, but they have the chart. It starts off at one and goes up to, I think around 10. Um, and Sounds you know, vaguely familiar, yeah. Yes, and I'm, now this is going to bother me. <laughs> um, but basically, it talks about like the ideal number of designers on a product, and it's, it starts. The graph starts at one, obviously, for one designer, and goes up to ten. And the least amount of work, or I guess I forget how they phrase the y-axis, um, but perhaps impact. Um, and the one designer kind of had like the least amount and then two, there's a noticeable jump. But as you get up towards like five or six, that's when it starts plateauing and it still goes up, but it just goes up less. So I feel that what they're trying to say is around like that five, there's cooks in the kitchen, right? There's too many cooks in the kitchen. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, you're talking about the old heuristic analysis uh, grid. I yeah. think so. Yeah, that that's might the be one. it. I mean, yeah. I haven't looked at it in such that's a the long one. time. Yep, that's it. Yeah, and so like, collaboration like it just makes it better i mean i do it today like there's there's just no harm in it. like you have to bounce ideas off of someone and have you know especially if there's another ux person who's more senior than you then like there's literally you cannot lose you cannot lose right, right. um you can only come out of it better and which is why i feel almost i feel i know you've talked about gatekeeping before um which is in, I'm going to say that I dislike gatekeeping in the sense of when I hear people say like, oh, well, this is, this person isn't a UXer. And cause if they're willing to take the advice from a more senior person and then actually apply that advice, they can only get better. Yes. True. Yes. 100%. Like they can only get better. And I know there are people I've worked with that, you know, came in and were like, I don't know what I'm doing. And they got the visit and they were like, Oh my gosh, I'm going to be called out for the, you know, the fraud that I am. And then, but overall, like they worked with more senior designers mm -hmm. and they learn and they you know they're able to learn. They're able to take critique. Um, and they were able to make it work. And to me, that's, that's fantastic. Um, and that's, the kind of gatekeeping that should not happen. Now, as for other types of gatekeeping, I'll, I'll leave that up to you because I know you have a lot to say about that. <laughs> yeah, the ones who know you can't, you can't do it. I, I, technically, I remember having a conversation with somebody recently um, and explaining the difference between gatekeeping and goalkeeping. See, the goalkeeper yes. is trying to keep someone out. Uh, the gatekeeper the real life actual gatekeeper the only time a gatekeeper is trying to keep some someone or something from getting in is because that someone or something that's trying to get in has ill intent and is and doesn't belong there right that's what happens in real life when a, when a person who is their title is gatekeeper their 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 whole mindset is let's keep everybody safe functional and prosperous 
And so when people accuse folks of gatekeeping, they don't have those things in mind. They're actually talking about goalkeeping. Right. Or goaltending would be another term. Goaltending. Because the goaltending is trying to keep everything and everybody out. Right. And <laughs> and because they're and even then they're trying to help their team win. But it's it's when they when they apply that metaphor to UX, it it doesn't it, it's not it's not fitting. There's an old proverb right. that I that I heard before that talk about uh, basically a, a metaphor in the, in the in the hand of a fool. There's no there's no benefit uh, because there and and when I've done and I've told you about some work I'm about to do. I've mentioned on my other episodes about work I'm about to do about gatekeeping that people don't they don't realize what gatekeeping is and it is not. Uh, right. If you if I back it up and I and I go to the 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 interviewing process, a person. Uh, a lot of people say I can't get a job. Well, there's a lot. There's a lot more moving parts than you're just not getting a job. Do you number one? And I said this on on another episode. When you're trying to get that first UX gig, make sure that you align yourself with the position before you apply. Don't apply for a position that the job posting said you're not going to get it, and then you know you're not qualified, and then you don't get it, and then get a, and then you do this fifty times, and you get upset. Make sure there is something out there that aligns with you. Right. Make sure that you're posting for that position. And then you keep going. But don't forget, you're applying and another 50, 100, 200, 300 people are also applying. So you're, they, these people are, are not recognizing that they are competing with a hordes of other people oh, yeah. for this same role. So it, it is a very competitive landscape which does not deserve somebody saying you're trying to keep me out. Nobody's trying to keep you out. All of us. I used to be an entry level UX person. Right. Everyone. And, and, and yeah, everybody was, there is, there isn't a person in UX that was not an entry level person at one time. And everybody in coming in, if you got the first thing you ever applied to, it's probably because you knew somebody or the, the, the stars just aligned, so to speak that you got it. Otherwise I went through the same thing. Everybody went through the same thing. Here's what's funny. When you are a senior, guess what's going to happen? The same exact same thing. thing. So it does not change. So I try to encourage people to make sure throw the gatekeeping mindset out. Cause it actually doesn't exist. Right. Uh, there's actually no such thing as a UX gatekeeper in the, in the frame of mind of what people are saying when they use the term gatekeeper. Um, there are gatekeepers. I'm one of them that's trying to steer people toward, toward quality, trying to steer people toward progressing the right way, trying to help people understand what UX really is and help set them on the right path. I, I, I created what we call the, the, the UX cycle of excellence. That's a, that's a gatekeeping mechanism because it basically tells you what you need to do in order to excel. It's not going to keep you out. You know, who's going to keep you out? You. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> not, not me. I I help people all over the world. And for those that don't know, I, I'll share this about me and John. I interviewed John when he got high. I was the I was essentially the hiring manager that got to say, yes, hire this guy with uh Ed Bosch when I was a manager yeah. over there. And I saw John as a person that had not done a lot of UX work at the time. He was had been more of a developer. He's never heard me say any of this. So he's, I, I see him on videos. I see what you guys know. 
And, but I said, he's got it. He's got what it takes. See, so what happened is when you when somebody's applying for a position where all you new folks out there, all you entry-level folks, you have to bring something to the table and hope that you have a hiring manager that can see your potential. I mm -hmm. saw John's potential. And X number of years later, look at him now working on projects with 25 million people or 2.5 million. Yeah, yeah 2.5. 2.5, <laughs> see, I think in 25. Or would love to have 25 million people on account manager, believe me. Yeah, <laughs> but, 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 but I hope people see what I'm getting at. I saw John's potential. John has proven that I was right. Now, the question is, how many times do you have to apply and go through that, that dynamic where somebody will see you and say you have potential and take you on? And, and so you just have to keep applying, keep plugging forward, and it'll, it'll work out somewhere. But you got to yeah. make yourself qualified. Nobody's going to just, you know, treat you as a charity case. Don't, don't expect that because that's not where we're trying to go today with the discipline, and it doesn't help the discipline, but I'm thankful for what John has done in pressing forward. You can tell, you can hear the passion for the discipline and what he's saying, the work that he's talked about doing. You don't do, you don't do this work. If you're just after a check, it doesn't work that way. No. You, you got to love what you're doing and you got to love helping people and driving wins for the business and wins for the users at the same yeah. time. And then we get wins by getting everybody else wins. That's how this, right. <laughs> that's how this it's, it's, it's reciprocal. Very true. No, that's totally <laughs> true. But that, that is question number 10. And I want to thank you, John, for taking the time to come on and sharing uh, all the, all the things that you have for, uh, for the UX community. So folks can tap into it and, and people around the world will hear this and I'm sure they will have something to say. And then when people will see it on your LinkedIn, all your connections, they'll see it. Then the word will get out there. And, and we ju we're just trying to help people go forward in the discipline. Oh, that's, that's all we can do. Yep. And hearing other voices, that's part of what, what it takes to make these things work. So Absolutely. Thanks again. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me, Darren. Absolutely. Love, to, love coming on. Love to be back someday. Absolutely. Absolutely. I want to have you back on the show as well. So, folks, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you again for joining us. Time to sign off. This is Darren Hood, the host of The World of UX. Happy UXing, everybody. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.